Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 88. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't tuned in before, in brief, I'm going to go through the vague plot details of each of the comics I am tackling this week, and I'm also going to talk about the many connections to other Star Wars content and some other interesting tidbits along the way, and also species and planets that pop up that are interesting that I maybe haven't tackled in a few recent episodes. But before we get into all of that, let me give you some of the information about the comics we are actually tackling this week. So it is the second volume of the High Republic comics by Marvel. So this is issues 6 to 10, and they're written by Kevin Scott. So issue number 6 was released June 30th, 2021. Issue 10 was released October 20th, 2021. And the trade paperback collection was released December 7th, 2021. Now, if you're wondering where this sits in the timeline, the High Republic era is around 200 years before the Phantom Menace. That's primarily the first phase of the High Republic, which is what this sits in. This sits within the first phase and the second wave. So the corresponding books and content along with this is primarily linked to The Rising Storm, which is a book review that I tackled back in November of 2021. If you are listening on YouTube, you can just check out the book reviews or the High Republic playlist because it will be in there. And the connecting novels is Race to Crash Point Tower that I tackled in February 2022 and Out of the Shadows, which I plan to tackle March 2022. They are the book reviews that I do that are spoiler free. And then towards the end, I give a bit more plot information for anyone who hasn't picked up those books. But for this episode in particular, I do highly recommend people have either listened to my book review of The Rising Storm or have picked up the book or listened to the audiobook because A, it's fantastic. And B, the plot heavily revolves around what happens here, especially sort of the latter elements of this volume. So issues 6, 7, and 8 are part of the Heart of the Drengir story arc that takes place just before or concurrent to The Rising Storm. And then the last two issues of this, which form up Shadow of the Nile story arc, so issues 9 and 10, they are set after The Rising Storm. And there's a specific thing that happens at the end of issue 8, which clearly shows this. And I want to clarify that this episode is obviously going to be spoilers about the comics themselves but also does somewhat spoil the rising storm Uh, but as i said in my book review of rising storm if you read the blurb or the first page or really know anything about the rising storm the thing that gets spoiled in these comics is pretty obviously going to happen considering the rising storm is all set around the republic fair and it's quite rare in star wars for you to get an entire 400 page book about just something that everything all goes to plan so uh, that's the little hint there But before I delve into the plot itself, the people involved in this. So I already said that Kevin Scott is the writer. Now there's a wide variety of people involved in these numerous issues. And I will just quickly add, if you haven't already checked out my episode on volume one of The High Republic, make sure you go check that out if you haven't already read the comics and stuff, uh, because obviously it's a lot of fun and it's another episode from me. That was episode 84 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. And if you also want to check out the High Republic Adventures comics, I tackled those in episode 86 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. Those specific 
specifically are done by IDW Publishing, and I know a lot of you listen and read along via Marvel Unlimited. So if you are doing that, I do really recommend checking out some of my IDW Publishing episodes because you can't obviously read those on Marvel Unlimited because they're not published by those guys. So High Republic Adventures Volume 1 was episode 86, and I will be tackling the second volume of High Republic Adventures in a couple of episodes' time. But I'll get into all that sort of stuff at the end of when I've gone through all the plots and things here because then I'll tell you what I've got coming up. But the people involved in this... I'm just going to go from person to person rather than issue to issue to save me rambling on here for absolutely ages. So obviously the writer, Kevin Scott. Then the penciler for issues 6, 7 and 10 was George's Giante. And the penciler for issues 8 and 9 was Ario Anandito. Now, there are several more people who are the inkers of these issues. So, we've got Carl Story, who did ink work for issues 6, 7, and 10. We've got Victor Olazaba, who did issues 9 and 10. Then we've also got Mark Morales, who did issues 8 and 9. So, obviously, there's quite a few issues where there's more than one inker, just to clarify. And then we've got Sean Parsons and Mark Deering, who also helped on issue number 9. So, for clarity, issue 9 had Mark Morales, Victor Olazaba, Sean Parsons, and also Mark Deering on there, and then Victor Olasaba and Carl Story did issue 10 together. But it seems that issues 6, 7, and 8 were done by one person, 6 and 7 by Carl Story, 8 by Mark Morales. And then finally, we have the color artists. So we've got Annalisa Leone, who did issues 6, 7, and 8. We've got Rachel Rosenberg, who did issue 9. And then we've got Carlos Lopez, who did issue number 10. So that is all the personnel, and so we move on to issue number six. And just before we get into the crawl, I will clarify that this volume takes place a few months after the previous volume slash phase one, wave one, uh, which was more centered around the Light of the Jedi book. So generally speaking, Light of the Jedi kind of kicks off the High Republic to start with. Then you've got A Test of Courage and Into the Dark, as well as volume one of High Republic comics and the High Republic adventures. And then with wave two, you've got The Rising Storm that kicks it off, and then Race to Crash Point Tower, Out of the Shadows, this volume, and the second volume of the High Republic adventures. There is a bit more other content around it, like miniseries and stuff, but I'm not going to get into that because it's not strictly speaking relevant. But if you tune into every episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon, you will get a good idea of these things. So without further ado, let's go into the first issue of this batch, which is issue number six. And here is The Crawl. The Drengear assault on Starlight Beacon and Sedri Minor was stopped thanks to an uneasy alliance between the Jedi and the Huts. Jedi Keeve Trennis' desperate gambit to help stop the attack paid off, but they may have cost the life of her former master, Skier. Now, a much greater conflict is about to test Keeve and the Jedi like never before. So, with the general idea of what's going on and the timeline set, let's get into things. So, with issue 6, you've got Avar Chris and the twins Terek and Serret, along with Myaga the Hutt fighting the Drengir on a planet called Davak, which seems to be in the High Republic only. They also have some Rancors with them fighting alongside, and then meanwhile you've got Maru who is on Starlight Beacon. He speaks with Stellan Geos, who confirms that he's a bit concerned about Avar's alliance with the Hutts, as is the Council. Meanwhile, it shows that Keeve Trennis is with Skier. Skier is in a stasis feed, holding off the Drengir infection, because from like the Jedi, he had his arm cut off in a flight accident when they were dealing with things from the Great Disaster and the aftermath of that, and then he kind of bonded with the Drengir in some way to kind of get a connection to their root mind and understand them better, but now he's kind of being controlled by them somewhat. And while Keeve is there, it's also confirmed that Skier's force connection is waning, and there's a doctor there called Ginole, 
who's there speaking to Keeve and is the one keeping an eye on Skir and keeping him in the stasis field. Now, Dr. Ginole, he is actually an anacondon, so you can kind of guess what he's going to look like just by the name of the species. But he's actually fitted with some cybernetic parts and things because anacondons are basically just giant snakes. They don't have arms or limbs or appendages. So this doctor has got some cybernetics, so he's got basically little robotic arms that help him do doctory things. Now, you actually first saw an anacondon in the Clone Wars episode called Deception. So the character was called Morley, they're on Lotho Minor, and they dealt with Maul and Savage Press. So obviously Maul doesn't die in The Phantom Menace, he survived, and then in The Clone Wars he comes back basically, and people who've seen Solo would know this anyway, so it's not spoilers. But the main story arc that brings Maul back into the fray, that's where this Morley anaconda actually is. And anacondons can grow up to 4.17 metres in length, and they are in Legends like a very small amount, but they're kind of in Legends basically from the period between the Anaconda appearing in the Clone Wars and then the canon reset a few years later. Like, So it's not a very long period of time for the Anacondas to exist. I believe they were first actually in a Legends book, but it was about Darth Maul and stuff, which I think heavily connected with the Clone Wars, either just before it came out or around that time. So it's basically because of the Clone Wars and Darth Maul, we know what an Anacondon is, and there's only like three of them in canon at the moment. Anyway, back to the story. So you've got the Drengir fighting Avar and co, and they seem to actually be winning. Avar manages to find some locals that they were trying to protect, and they seem to have all been drained of their life force. The Rancor that Avar was riding is knocked down by a Drengir. The Drengir start to infect it, and then Miaga comes in and shoots it in the head to stop it becoming infected and becoming a Drengir Rancor thing. So Avar then says they're being overwhelmed and calls out to Maru on Starlight Beacon. Maru confirms to Keeve what he's doing and says he's going to assist. Keeve decides that she needs Skier to help, so she turns off the status field and goes in. His Drengir arm then grabs her and the roots grow and go into her nose and mouth as she falls into this strange root world. So in this peculiar root world, Keeve is then reunited with Skir. They both seem to be there in like a physical form, even though they both kind of know they're not there physically. It's like this strange thing. Keeve says, is this part of the force? Is that how the Drengir are communicating? And Skir says he isn't sure. But they're basically, the root world is the root mind, and it's just how the Drengir are communicating. There's roots and vines everywhere. Things are a little bit miscolored. When Keeve goes into this root world and things and is reunited with Skir, they give each other a hug and then Skir comments it's not the Jedi way and they kind of laugh that part off. So they then go off and try and find the heart of the system. While this is going on, you've got Avar still fighting this battle with the Drengir and is still not winning very well, but she can now hear Keeve's song within the song of the Drengir. Now to reiterate, one of Avar's strengths and one of her force powers is she hears the force as a song and therefore she can hear everyone's force kind of imprint as a song, uh, which comes up quite a lot in the High Republic stuff. I really, really like that element and that idea and I think it works very well both for characters and lore, but also as a storytelling device is very helpful. But upon discovering this, Avar then communicates with Maru on Starlight once again. He hasn't yet left and he checks on Keeve and it shows that she's standing next to Skir with all those roots going in. She says out loud that they are searching for the first seed, but they are not strong enough. So she does have some degree of understanding of things going on outside of the root world as well as while being inside the root world. So Maru and a person called Orbelin assist. They use the Force to try and help Skir and Keeve overcome the Drengir, and then the roots within this root world let go of Keeve and Skir and start to slink away. So Skir and Keeve grab onto these as they're retreating, and then they get pulled to the Great Progenitor. 
don't want to clarify here, Orberlin, I believe I mentioned them in the last volume of The High Republic, but they feature in The Rising Storm a fair amount of things that this, in layman's terms, this blob alien that lives in a suit. They're only in this like one or two panels, so I'm not going to delve into them anymore. So if you want to find out more information, read The Rising Storm and listen to other episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon. So back in this root world thing, Keeve can see into the mind of this great progenitor, which seems to be the first seed of the Drengir, the thing that is controlling them, the kind of dominant Drengir of it all. This great progenitor, while Keeve is in there, stabs her through the center of her being and a spike of the Drengir root comes out the other side. Skier sees this and he rips his Drengir arm off and that cuts the connection completely both in the root mind and outside of the root mind. Back to Keeve seems to be unharmed physically by that attack, and she also says that she recalls something called Mulita. Now Maru looks this up and things, can't find it on any normal records, but he does find the planet in some ancient system that he has access to. So they seem to know where this great progenitor is hiding. And that is where issue number six ends. So let's move on to issue number seven, which has one of the most interesting connections, I think, this this episode. So uh, I'll get into that shortly. But episode seven starts off with Keeve being in this strange world. There's a lot of people who are talking to her, some who are dead, some are alive. A lot of them come from the first volume of the High Republic comics. Uh, So you've got like one of the Rodians, you've got the little boy that she kind of followed with and things. And so she knows something is kind of amiss. And there's someone that she describes as a ghost lady who is there and is semi-guiding her. This individual is white skinned, is wearing a white cloak and things. And when I say white, I don't mean like Caucasian white, I mean like actually fully pale, the colour white. Before Keeve can really figure out what's going on, she is attacked by someone called Darth Crawl. So Darth Crawl, and that's Crawl K-R-A-L-L, they are part of the Lost 20. Now, the Lost 20 are 20 Jedi that left the Order on good terms. There were 20 Jedi Masters that left the Order on good terms. And although it's not officially confirmed that Keeve Trennis is one of those, in the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost, which is by Kevin Scott, that came out when Project Luminous had already been announced, but before Project Luminous was confirmed to be the High Republic and stuff. And there's quite a lot of connections in sort of 2018, 2019 content created by some of the individuals involved in the High Republic initiative and their associated friends that lean onto certain things of the High Republic. I know that Alyssa Wong, for example, in our Dr. Afro comics, they talk about the High Republic occasionally as well. But the last last 20, the reason I'm referring to it is because in the audio drama Dooku Jedi Lost, which I went into in episode 26 Styles Comics and Canon, because that's when I did the big Dooku biography, where I basically went through the one shot with him, which was the Age of Republic, as well as the audio drama and a few other bits and pieces of like Dooku's lore and how he got to where he is being in a uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So if you want to find out more about Dooku, go check that out. But basically, there is a Master Trennis who is known to be part of the Lost 20. Dooku was actually number 20 of the Lost 20. Obviously, they were called that after Dooku entered, but they're like statues of the other members of the Lost Jedi Order that left and things. But Darth Krull is mentioned in Dooku Jedi Lost, originally called Radaki. And Radaki's saber, or Darth Krull's saber, is actually in the Bogan Collection. And the Bogan Collection is on Coruscant in the Jedi Temple. It's this hidden safe, basically, full of peculiar and strange artifacts, primarily dark dark side objects and things that they don't want the rest of the Jedi being able to see or get access to. And in Dooku Jedi Lost, Sifo Dias, as well as Dooku, go into the Bogan collection and look around at some cool stuff. There's lots of very interesting tidbits and bits of information there that are intriguing, 
intriguing, but Darth Crawl was one of them that I found the most intriguing because I really like the Sith and they very much interest me, but obviously they're barely in the canon apart from, you know, the few around the Skywalker saga. And Radaki slash Darth Crawl actually split from the Jedi Order initially because he believed that the Jedi should retain their wealth and their family even becoming a Jedi. It's also confirmed that he tamed something called the Nightmare Conjunction, and oddly enough, the Nightmare Conjunction is mentioned in a hollow journal by Padawan Clias Teradine. Now, Clias Teradine is actually a character who is in the Monster of Temple Peak four-part miniseries that I tackled in the last episode, episode 87, which was Ty Yorick's origin story. So Ty Yorick is the Tholothian, she's on the cover of The Rising Storm, she's like a saber for hire. If you want to hear more about her origin story and stuff, and why she kind of left the Order, you get that information in there, and you find out about Clias Teradine in that story as well. So it's just very interesting that the Nightmare Conjunction obviously being connected to those two things. Obviously it's not a coincidence because Kevin Scott wrote all these High Republic comics, as well as the Monster of Temple Peak and also the Rising Storm. So he did this, but what further connects the Nightmare Conjunction to these things is that the records of the planet Mulita, as mentioned at the end of issue six, that's actually found in information from that era. So the same sort of time era, all those things kind of happened. And we don't know what the Nightmare Conjunction actually is. I have a suspicion. My my guess might be the Nightmare Conjunction was when the Sith originally like raised up the Drengir or something like that. But that is just a guess of mine. I looked online. I couldn't really find anything specific. I think it's being saved either for the next phase of the High Republic. There's going to be 150 years prior to this phase. So that will mean it's like 350 odd years before the Phantom menace we'll see how that kind of goes or potentially it's going to be in the acolyte series it'll get mentioned or potentially it'll be when the canon eventually goes into the older republic when the sith are about and the sith wars all that sort of stuff you know about a thousand years uh, before the skywalker saga when that all happens i imagine we'll get some information on the nightmare conjunction but at the moment we just don't know what it is but yeah it's just interesting that keeve gets a vision and basically has this kind of force vision fight with darth crawl in this strange world that she's still kind of connected to the Drengir root mind in. So in this story, as I said, when she's in this vision, she gets stabbed by Darth Crawl, and then she also sees some statues slash totems that were holding in the Drengir, which you get to find out more information about that in Into the Dark, which is the young adult novel from Phase 1, Wave 1 of the High Republic, and that's basically when we first find out the most amount of information on the Drengir. After seeing all the stuff and Darth Crawl and all that sort of etc, Keeve then wakes up, and it's confirmed that she was actually meditating on Starlight Beacon. Dr. Ginole actually communicates with her and says that obviously he was monitoring her vitals after that connection with her and Skir and the Drengir and stuff from the previous issue, and he says that yeah, her vitals jumped up while she was meditating. She says it's fine, don't worry about it, and he's like, I thought meditation was meant to reduce your vitals and things, and she basically just gives an offhand comment and then heads to Maru for basically something to do. Ava is currently speaking with Maru and she's confirming that she wants more Jedi. Some of them are at the Republic Fair and to clarify this is still set before the Rising Storm but some of these Jedi are at the Republic Fair and things but none can really be spared for Ava. Keeve wants to help and Maru is a little bit suspicious. He's like, are we sure we can trust you? Do we really know how far this Drenger infection went with you? Like, what do we know? And then before he could fully dismiss her, he receives communication and receives this data pad from someone else saying, there's a new issue that needs to be addressed. And he's like, well, Keeve, here's your time to prove it. Here's the information. 
So, meanwhile, we see the Nile are attacking some Shartos. Now, Shartos are like mini Wookiees. That's how I describe them. Uh, this is the first time, I think, in the canon. And they were first in Legends in a role-playing source book. But across canon and Legends, they've barely been in it at all. But just imagine like a mini Wookiee. Not quite a Ewok. Like, they very much just a tiny Wookiee. A pygmy Wookiee, as it were. So, yeah, the Nile are attacking these Shartos. And they're after some sprayer droids. Keeve Trennis then appears, defends these Shartos that are being attacked, but is then distracted by a force vision of Kral. The main Nile that is leading this group smashes Keeve in the side of the head, and then before she can kind of react or do anything further, this main Nile is hit by this very large metal object that just smashes into him. It shows this metal object was actually thrown by Orla Jereni. Now, Orla Jereni, she is someone who's been in The Rising Storm, and I believe she was in Light of the Jedi as well. She is an Umbaran, so she has very white skin, so she is the, in air quotes, ghost lady that Keeve saw in her vision. She has a purified double lightsaber, so she has two lightsabers that connect together, basically, and they are purified because they have a white crystal, and this is because she managed to purify it, much like Ahsoka did in the Ahsoka book with the Inquisitor's lightsaber, you know, in layman's terms, if you guys haven't listened to Star Wars Comics and Canon before, and if you haven't read the 2017 Darth Vader comics and you haven't read the Rise of Kylo Ren miniseries then you would not know this but in short Sith when they want to use a lightsaber to make it red they bleed it they hold it put loads of dark energy into it and it bleeds the crystal turns it red and there you go then what a Jedi can do is come into that afterwards and what a Jedi or a light side force user can do is with this bled crystal that is red you can then put good energy and good vibes into it basically and turn it pure again but it turns it white instead of the standard you know green or blue which is the generally the most common ones so Ahsoka did that hence why she has the white lightsabers when you see her uh, in anything after the Clone Wars and Orla found this old Sith weapon and then she purified it hence why she has managed to get purified crystals and I want to add in here that in Legends, it was not bleeding lightsaber crystals. It was that the Sith couldn't get lightsaber crystals from the same place the Jedi could. So they used to create their own lightsaber crystals. And creating a synthetic lightsaber crystal would mean they would always come out red. Hence why the Sith had red lightsabers, in Legends at least. But anyway, Orla Jereni, as well as having the purified double lightsaber, she is a way seeker. So she basically goes out. She isn't attached to a specific Jedi temple and she can kind of go out and just do what the force wills her to do in essence. And I believe she was actually more so introduced in the Into the Dark book, which is obviously what I mentioned before. So these comics have heavy connections to the Drengir. So as well as reading The Rising Storm, I would recommend people check out the Into the Dark book or at least my book review of Into the Dark because a lot of these characters are reappearing. But yeah, that's all uh, Jereni and obviously... As I said, she's the ghost lady from Keeve's vision, but she helps out Keeve. They manage to take down all of the Nile, put them in binders, and then the Republic is on its way to pick them up. Orla clears the gas from the air because whenever the Nile attack, they always leave out like gas canisters and stuff to poison people, basically. And she confirms that she went out to find Keeve as she feel like Keeve may have lost herself. Keeve is unsure about this, but then confirms that she actually doubts herself. She worries about Skier and him falling to the dark side and all these things. And then she hears the Root Mind speak. In her mind, the Root Mind says that the Jedi have lost. And the last panel of issue number seven shows Avar Chris's skeleton stripped of all flesh with Drengir roots going in and out of its skull, which is quite a lot to deal with. But that is where issue number seven ends, so we move on to issue number eight, the finale of the story arc of Heart of the Drengir. So this issue starts with Maru, who managed to get a few reinforcements to Melita, where Avar is fighting the Drengir and whatnot. There aren't that many Jedi, but there's still a fair few more Jedi, so now you've still got the Jedi as well as the Hutt, 
And you've got Orbel in there as well as Avar Chris and the twins. But you've also got Master Comac and Wreath Silas there as well, who are once again characters who are central around Into the Dark. They're also in Out of the Shadows as well, which takes place after these. And uh, I'll be tackling that book review in the coming month or so. And Komak is basically an artifact specialist. He likes going to old temples and things. And Wreath is very much a bookworm and not in a derogatory way. He really likes reading lots of hollows and finding out about history and stuff. And yeah, interesting characters, but I'll delve more into them. I already did in Into the Dark and I will again in Out of the Shadows. The Drengir then start controlling these giant ants, which seem to be local to the system, and they start to fight as well. Then Orla, Jereni, and Keith Trennis appear on Orla's ship. Orla greets Skir, and it's confirmed that they have some sort of flirty history together. There's even a joke where one of them says, my pleasure, and the other one says, wouldn't be the first time. And Keith is like, I wish I didn't hear that. <laughs> so once again, the High Republic, little bit, little bit hints of some sort of more flirtatious, maybe more of a physical relationship. I know that in The Rising Storm that is touched upon, but we'll go into that any further here. But this group, they all now are still fighting the Drengir. Keeve and Terek go off to find Avar, and it's shown that she is caught by the Great Progenitor. The Great Progenitor is now controlling Avar, and Avar's arm lifts up and then Force pushes Keeve out of the way. And once Avar has been fully consumed by the Drengir, they'll be even more powerful. Likely because Avar's got the great way of connecting all of the Jedi's minds, so the root mind will probably get strengthened by that ability. Kiev is then grabbed by Avar Chris and lifted into the air, and then she confirms that the great progenitor Crift up, and Crift is a nice little swear word in Star Wars. Uh, there's multiple Star Wars swear words, which I quite like. There's Carabast, which is a favourite of mine that Zeb does a lot in Rebels. You've got Dang Farrick, and that's quite popular in The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, and Criff is another one. You know, I keep this podcast clean just so anyone can listen to it, so you can guess. If someone said you Crift up, you know what they mean. And the Drengir is confused how they crift up, and then Avar connects all of the Jedi's minds together. There are about 11 Jedi there, and they all are chanting the same Force mantra. And this means that the Great Progenitor is then cut off from the Hive slash Root Mind, because where Avar is connected to it, she managed to kind of isolate it. Myaga the Hutt is there and is trying to kill the Great Progenitor, but the rest of the Jedi stop her, saying that they protect life, which in my opinion is quite lame, because I would 100% kill the Drengir uh, without a doubt, even if they are life. They're not like normal sentient life where they can make decisions, it seems. They literally seem to just kill or run away. Um, but putting that aside, the Jedi managed to put together a stasis field generator, which then further disrupts the Drengir's connections to the rest of the Drengir. Wreath and Komak activate the feed, and then the shield locks the Great Progenitor in, and Myaga is persistent, saying she still wants it to be dead, and Orla says, nope, let's just lock up the Great Progenitor in the Bogan collection uh, on Starlight Beacon, and the Jedi continue to stand firm against the Myaga, and Myaga eventually just gives up and leaves on her ship, along with her cronies and the remaining people who are left on her side after the Drengir battles. And the final panels of this comic show that the group of Jedi seem to be rejoicing. They've defeated the Drengir. They communicate to Maru, and Maru confirms that the Republic Fair is gone. And they're like, what do you mean? And it's like, the Nile attacked. It's gone. And you get to see one image of the Republic Fair just in ruins. And that is the Rising Storm spoiler, because that's not how it necessarily ends, but that occurs within the Rising Storm. So that gives a good idea of where we are storyline-wise now. So that was issue number eight that ends, and so we move on to the penultimate issue, which is issue number nine. Now, issue number nine is the first of the two-part arc, Shadow of the Nile, and it takes place several months after 
issue number 8 ended, which means that it is several months after the events of The Rising Storm. So issue 9 starts with Orla Jereni flying her Vector. A Nile ship attacks her, and it's confirmed that it's actually Keith Trennis and Terek, who are in full Nile gear, they've got like the Nile makeup on them and things, and you've still got Keeve's internal monologue saying like, I can't believe this happened, I can't believe that we got to this point sort of things, quite dark and depressing, and then it shows what happened before. So from what I can gather, this seems before, like maybe a couple weeks before, if not slightly less than that. So it's on Starlight Beacon, and you've got Avar Chris, and the others are there witnessing Avar speak to Stellon Geos via Hollow. They're discussing about the Nile and what to do next with the Drengir threat defeated. They think Lorna D is the Eye of the Nile, but think that she died. Now, it gets all into that in the Tempest Runner audio drama, which I tackled partly in the Rising Storm book review that I did. Um, But if you listen to things on Audible or anything like that, you can find the Tempest Runner on there. Because they think Lorna is dead, they believe that someone else must be taking up the mantle of the Eye. There is a person who is a Talpini, who might be it, but then there's also a very blurry picture of someone with a helmet that might also be it, but they have no idea who the person in the helmet is, but they know that the Talpini is someone called Zetar. Avar wants to go after these Nile, and then it cuts back to present day. So a bit of information about what a Talpini is and the Nile people we just heard about. So a Talpini is basically a very short creature that is generally quite furry, but their faces are furless. So they're kind of like a small primate with a very, very big mouth. Now, they were first shown in Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and the character that you see in that is called Weetif C.U.B., and he's played by Warwick Davis. And Warwick Davis does like two or three cameos in Rogue One, actually. And fun fact is the one that when you see Warwick Davis not in any makeup or anything at the end of Solo, a Star Wars story, he is actually the same character he played in The Phantom Menace at the Bunta Eve pod racing. Uh, You see him right near Jabber and stuff. So that's just a fun little connection there. Anything Warwick Davis is fun. Obviously he played Wicket uh, in Return of the Jedi. That's where he kind of rose to fame and he's been in almost every Star Wars movie since. Uh, But anyway, Talpini are from the planet Talpi and yet they're all these fairly short creatures but they're all sentient and intelligent and etc and the talpini they're referring to for the nile is actually in a power suit they are called zetar z-e-e-t-a-r zetar was introduced in the rising storm they're also in the tempest run on audio drama and they appear more in these comics and then the very blurry person who had a helmet on that is Markion Row. they are the true eye of the storm but they always operate a lot of things behind the scenes there is a two-part comic series called eye of the storm i've got issue one and issue two is due to be re- delivered shortly and when i tackle volume three of the high republic that's going to be issues 11 to 15 of the high republic but the trade paperback collection also includes the eye of the storm two-parter so i haven't fully decided if i'm going to do the eye of the storm in its own little episode or if i'm gonna attach it to the high republic comics i do for volume three i'll figure out when i read them all and see how much work it is because seven comics in one episode is quite a lot and especially if it's going to be you know from what i've read from eye of the storm one it is basically exposition and lore dump and i don't know if that would serve better in its own episode or not if anyone has any preferences please let me know otherwise i'll just figure it out when we get there but that won't be for another four or five weeks before i have to think about that anyway so ava has an idea regarding how to handle the nile she wants to go and check a specific area, but Stellan Geos and the Jedi Council as a whole are suspicious of it. They said they've checked this place numerous times before, there's no reason for them to have to check there again, because they found nothing. 
Avar keeps drumming it home and saying that the Nile are amassing in the Sula system. We've got numerous reports of communications between them speaking about this. We need to go there and attack. We need to make sure we kind of stomp them out in a sense. Stellan then completely refuses to action any further, and he mentions about the only way the Jedi should help is in the unified response, which is what they all do. Keeve then gets agitated by this and she cuts in. She confirms that the Nile planted the Drengir seeds to distract them all and which is why what happened at the Republic Fair happened and that she wants them to act as well. Stellan then refuses even further, confirms about the unified response and then closes the comm on Keeve. Avar confirms that she appreciates Keeve trying to help but it, it didn't actually do anything to assist and it's kind of just aggravated Stellan and the council now. So Keeve, frustrated, walks away. Back to present day, you've got Orla sending a distress signal and the Ataraxia appears. As the Ataraxia appears, Keeve Trennis then sends out a distress signal to the Nile. Numerous vectors then come out of the Ataraxia and start to attack Keeve's ship. Skier is involved in this as well, he is piloting one of the vectors, and the Nile received Keeve's distress signal and then they all appear as well several vectors and are fighting with Keeve and Terek's Nile ship. Keeve manages to destroy one of the vectors and is then clamped by another Nile ship that has just appeared. Keeve's ship gets taken away via hyperspace, all the paths, the paths is how the Nile travel for hyperspace. I'm not going to go into that detail here because I've mentioned it numerous times before. But if you want to know that, check out one of my book reviews because I do go into it there. And I think like the Jedi and the Rising Storm, I talk about it, but it confirms that this is all going according to plan. And it shows that the vector that Keeve actually shot and destroyed was being remote controlled. It then does a quick flashback showing that Avar has an idea and Skier relays that to Keeve and then it cuts back to Eckwood's modern day. So the Nile ship then lands on a planet and then Keeve and Terek get asked whose Tempest it is. A person who is a crow loot asks who they're with. And the crow loot is a species that you will see from Star Wars The Force Awakens. So there's a character called Unkar Plutt. He's the person who Rey gives scraps to and he's like, one quarter portion. That guy, that's Unkar Plutt. He's also voiced by Simon Pegg, fun fact. And he is a crow loot. Now crow loots are always male. And a female crow loot is actually a slightly different species called a Gilead. Now there is a Gilead in the Star Wars Resistance show who goes by the name of Aunt Z. Their name is too hard to pronounce and it's such a minor part of this I'm not going to go into it but if you watch Star Wars Resistance and you see Aunt Z that is a Gilead which is basically a female version of a crow loot and also crow loots are semi-aquatic and their skin actually sags when they are outside of salt water. So it's a bit of fun stuff about them but there is a Nile who is a crow loot who is slightly senior asking Kivan Terek what they're doing and who they're with. They confirm that they are with Pan Eta, E-Y-T-A, I always have trouble pronouncing his last name, and he was a Dowatin. Uh, he is in The Rising Storm, he's also in The Tempest Runner, and he's thought to be dead, but from what happens in uh, The Rising Storm and The Tempest Runner, it's kind of still a little bit, uh, we're not sure. So this Krolu gets Keeve with an electro whip. She manages to grab it as it hits her and then flips this guy over. Zetar, that Talpini, then appears. And he believes that she may have been with Pan Eta's Storm, which is the name of like a group of Nile under leadership of a Tempest Runner. And so this issue ends with Zetar wanting Keeve to kill a hostage they have. And this hostage is Mayaga the Hutt. And he hands her this big warhammer. So that's the end of issue number nine. So we go on to the final issue of this volume and collection, issue number 10.
So Keeve is trying to figure out what to do in this situation where she's meant to kill a hut in cold blood with this giant hammer. She notes that there is a Nile in the background who is carrying some Nagnol, which is some very explosive kind of gas, but it can also kill a hut. And then actually in volume one of the High Republic comics, when the group of them found a dead hut on a Nile ship that was killed by some sort of strange gas and lots of stabbings, and then it kind of had a drain gear inside of it and whatnot, that was actually killed by a Nagnol. Now, Nagnol was actually in Legends, but it was only very briefly in like two bits of Legends content and one of them was Knights of the Old Republic 2, the Sith Lords. There's like a few lines of dialogue that mention it, but to my knowledge you don't actually get to see it. But that's Nagnol, N-A-G-N-O-L. So as Keeve kind of clocks this Nile doing that, she seemingly uses the force to kind of nudge him a little bit, so he drops it. He drops it and then it explodes, causing a large amount of havoc. The Tempest Runner Zetar then shoots the Nile that dropped that, calling him an idiot. And then Kiefer says to Zetar that Myaga worked with the Jedi, so we should keep her alive and interrogate her for their secrets. Meanwhile, on the Ataraxia, you've got Avar, Chris, and Skir who are kind of keeping an eye on things and speaking to Seret, because obviously Seret and Terek the twins are force bonded so they can kind of read each other's thoughts at the same time. So they've got one who is obviously in the midst of the Nile with Kiev, and the other one who's with the Jedi kind of keeping tabs on things. And it shows that Skir is struggling to use the force to lift up a lightsaber. He manages to lift it, you know, a little bit up and then drops it and kind of sighs. And then he gets comm from the doctor who is an anacondon. And the anacondon confirms that they know why Skir is losing his force connection. So back to Keevan stuff, the hut is now in this big tank. It looks a little bit like a Bacta tank, but instead of it pumping full of Bacta to heal the hut, it can get pumped with unrefined Nagnol, which as I said is fatal to huts. So Zetar says that Keeve has to interrogate the hut quickly because the Nagnol is going to kill them. The Nagnol starts to get pumped in, but then the pipe starts to get blocked. Keeve's inner monologue says that she hopes that Myaga the Hut is recognizing her, so kind of cooperates in a subtle way without giving up her cover. It's confirmed that the pipe got blocked by Terek using the force on it, so the Nile then resort to shocking Myaga. Zeta then kind of pushes Keeve out of the way and starts to interrogate Myaga themselves. And Myaga then confirms that Keeve, Trennis, and Terek are actually Jedi, right in front of the Nile's eyes. And as this gets revealed, all of the Nile start to attack Keeve and Terek, who then ignite their lightsabers in response. Keeve and Terek manage to hold their own against the Nile, and then the Nile electrocute the heart even further. This distracts the two of them, and then they start to get beat up by the Nile a little bit. Now, a lot of this issue is. I'm like glazing over it. There's a lot of action scenes, a lot of cool artwork, but now obviously I'm just trying to stick mainly to the story points. So after these guys get beaten up, Lorna D then appears and shoots Myaga in the head. Lorna D is a Twi'lek. She is the central character of the audio drama Tempest Runner. She is also in Light of the Jedi and also in The Rising Storm quite a lot. She is one of the highest in the Nile. She is a Tempest Runner, so you've got the Eye of the Storm, who is Mark Yomoro at the very top, and then he generally has three Tempest Runners, and it changes between them, but I think at this point it was Pan Eta, Lorna D, and Zetar the Talpini, and Lorna D, thought to be dead, isn't dead, but obviously the Nile don't tell the Jedi when someone isn't dead, so obviously the Jedi thinking that. That shows as a surprise, and then Keeve confronts Lorna D. Lorna D calls in Dr. Uttersound, who is a Shadra fan from The Rising Storm, and brings in a purple glowing box. Now, any of you reading the, the Rising Storm, who have finished The Rising Storm, rather, you'll know what this is. The box then opens, and something unseen starts affecting Keeve and Terek. They fall to their knees while holding their heads, and you can see it in the artwork. Everything starts to go a bit strange for them. 
And then the final pages of this comic show, back on the Ataraxia, you've got Seret loses his connection with Terek. And for the first time we've ever seen with either of these characters, they refer to themselves as I instead of we. Seret then tries to reconnect with Terek and then is immediately stunned and in pain. Their eyes go purple and then they say, no peace, no balance, only pain. And then their hand starts to turn to stone, as does the side of their face. And that is where this comic ends. So if you've read The Rising Storm, you should know what this being is that's kind of caused this, and it is the Leveller. And I'm not going to go into any more detail about the Leveller here, A, because there's very little to know about it, but also B, because you just need to read The Rising Storm. So this will all get continued in Volume 3 of The High Republic, and that's going to be issues 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and then it also will contain the Eye of the Storm issue 1 and 2. Uh, I haven't got issue 2 yet, but once I get that, I'll make a decision of whether or not I'm going to do um, all of it in one episode, like the trade paperback, or if I'm going to split them. But yeah, that, my friends, is where Episode 88 ends. So let's give some more information on what's coming up and some background stuff before I head out. So a quick plug here, if you have been watching The Book of Boba Fett, which by recording this now has finished, if you want to hear people talk about each episode of The Book of Boba Fett week by week, as well as a big roundup of it, if you're listening to a podcast app, you're already on the feed of Comics in Motion, so you can just scroll past, like back a few episodes and you'll see it. If you're listening on YouTube, you can go to the playlist, which is the TV show specials, which Mandalorian's in there, as well as the Boba Fett discussion. So yeah, just a big discussion on Book of Boba Fett with a wide variety of guests that change each episode with myself hosting so you can go check that out if desired also that is a call to you guys if you're listening on youtube please subscribe if you're not listening on youtube please click the link in the description to go to my youtube channel where you can then subscribe there even if you don't listen on youtube i know barely anyone does uh, but if you could do that it would mean a lot to me because i've got playlists on there which have got all of these star wars comics and canon episodes they're in different genres and things so if there's one you just want to hear about all the high republic stuff i've done or all the darth vader stuff or just things that are like bios about certain characters all of those are in individual playlists and there's a few crossover playlists as well all episodes of genuine chit chat some of them have got video in them on youtube as well and they're also all in playlists by genre and in addition to that you've got some bonus stuff on there like uh, my loki discussion which is on the feed of comics and motion and obviously the book of boba fett and that sort of thing plus if i can get the subscribers up to 100 then it means i can change the channel name from gobbledygook to slash genuine chit chat which i've been wanting to do for a while um, but obviously i can't just translate my podcast followers onto the subscribers onto youtube or it'd be much easier to be able to do all that stuff uh, but if you are listening that would mean a lot to me to go and do that if you want to support the show in a different way you can uh, rate on spotify out of five stars you don't even need to write anything you just click like three things and then you'll have given it a review so please review both genuine chitcha and also comics in motion five stars it would mean a lot to me and the rest of the guys but you can also leave reviews on good pods podcast addict apple podcasts leaving a review takes you a couple minutes i know it's a bit of a pain but it means the absolute world to both myself and all of my comics in motion family it does help get the show up the charts and gets more exposure and things so more people discover it which is exactly what we want so if you you could do that as well otherwise you can share on social media you can tell your friends about it obviously if any of your friends like star wars at all please send them my show because as i try and make it every episode you don't actually even need to read any comics to enjoy the show i know a handful of you guys do listen and read along and the rest of you just listen so please try and share and support and tell your friends about this as well 
If you've already done all of those things, or if you don't wish to do any of those things, but you want to get some additional content and support the show in a different way, please check out patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. If you go there for as little as one pound a month, which is like a dollar fifty a month, um, you can get access to my Patreon exclusive feed. So on there, there is occasional episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon that get uploaded there early. I've also done plenty of book reviews on there that I have not released on this feed uh, or on YouTube. You can't find them anywhere else. That is of Last Shot, which is about Han and Lando. There's also Dark Disciple, which is a Clone Wars novel about Quinlan Vos and Asajj Ventress. I've also done the Legends novel, Shatterpoint, which is a Clone Wars novel about Mace Windu. I'm currently listening to Darth Plagueis on um, Audible, and I'm going to be doing a review of that as well. I've got A New Dawn, which is the prequel book to Star Wars Rebels about Kanan Jarrus and Hera Syndulla. I think that's the next one I'm going to listen to. And I'm also going to listen to a huge amount of other Legends material and record book reviews for those that I will be releasing only on the Patreon feed. In addition to that, you also get a weekly show that myself and Megan do called Afterthoughts, where we watch movies or TV series or sometimes documentaries and put our thoughts on there. If it's a new movie, such as MCU stuff we see at the cinema or a TV series, we give our spoiler-free thoughts. But if we do an older film or horror films or things like that that haven't been out in the last like two years that are older than that, we will then generally talk about spoilers and stuff. We've done a huge amount of films. We've done people movies, horror films, thrillers, action, all kinds of stuff. And at the moment, we are doing a big Tom Hanks rewatch. So each week, we're going to be releasing an episode where we've tackled a Tom Hanks movie. We're doing it in chronological order, so we started with Big. We've also recorded one for The Burbs, which neither of us had seen. Megan hadn't seen Big either, which is baffling to me. Uh, we've also done one for Turner and Hooch. Uh, the next up is Joe versus the Volcano, then I think it's A League of Their Own, and then I think it's one or two others, and then Forrest Gump. So very, very excited to watch some of those movies, some of them again, some of them for the first time, and give our reviews on those. So if you want to hear more of an insight into mine and Megan's relationship, who's been a guest on multiple episodes of Genuine Chit Chat and episodes featured in the comics and motion network and you want to support the show please consider checking out the patreon as said one pound a month and you get hours and hours and hours of additional content if you subscribe now you get a link um, on patreon where you can put in a podcast app or you can just listen on the patreon app or whatever and then you just there's hours of additional content on there uh, where you can just listen to loads of stuff including us doing reviews of each individual star wars movie as well as the harry potter movies we're going through at the moment as well we've done a bunch of mcu stuff too so a lot of nerdy things on there but as i said there's loads of non-nerdy stuff on there too i've also done some reviews of non-star wars comics as well as the star wars book reviews so there's loads of ways to support the show and to get loads of additional content but patreon is the best way to do that so that to one side, guys, what have we got coming up? So next week, episode 89 of Star Wars Comics and Canon is going to be the second volume of Poe Dameron Comics, which is written by Charles Saul. Uh, it's the only comic run that I haven't actually read before doing this. So I'm reading them week by week, uh, basically as you guys are listening. Uh, so that's going to be the next week's one. Episode 90 is then going to be the High Republic Adventures volume two. Now that's going to include issues six, seven, and eight of the High Republic Adventures, but also it's going to include the High Republic Adventures annual as well, which I received recently it's got five short stories in there but i have not yet read because i'm saving it for that podcast so that's going to be quite exciting there then the week after that episode 91 is either going to be the trail of shadows well episode 91 is definitely going to be trail of shadows which is a mini series set in the second wave of the first phase of the high republic where someone tries to investigate the death of one of the characters in the rising storm and 
I haven't finished that yet. I've read the first couple and, I, and I've just received issue number five. So that's a five part mini series there. So I'll probably be tackling that. But if I don't tackle that on that week, what I will be tackling is Out of the Shadows, which is the young adult book for the High Republic, phase one, wave two. Uh, if I do one of those, whichever one I do, I will then do the other one for the following week. So it'll be one of those little swapperoos again. Uh, and then the episode after that, I will be doing volume three of the High Republic comics. So that's the general idea of what you can expect for the next few weeks slash month. I have now got Fallen Star. I am currently reading Fallen Star as well, um, but I have had to take a pause from that because I'm currently reading Sandman, which is the Neil Gaiman graphic novel. I'm reading the first volume of that, which is issues one to eight, because we are going to be doing that in the Comics in Motion book club. We're going to be recording that, I believe, next week, and then that should be out the following couple weeks or so, and that is going to be the fourth episode of the book club the first one was Darth Vader volume 1 2017 I did with Dave and Matt Lloyd then issue 2 was Mouse episode 3 was Viva Vendetta and then obviously number 4 is going to be Sandman and we've already got a couple more lined up in the coming months as well so plenty of reasons to subscribe to Comics in Motion and any of the stuff that I appear in I do try and put on my YouTube channel as well but that is generally what you can expect from Star Wars Comics and Canon going forward I appreciate each and every one of you guys listening especially all the way up to the end of this rambly nonsense please share on social media rate on spotify and all the other good places subscribe share with your friends consider checking out my patreon and supporting the show and uh, i just want to say i appreciate each and every one of you for listening it means the world to me i've got so many people listening to this show and to genuine chit chat got a lot of fun things planned for genuine chit chat over the year but you know but follow me on social media at genuine chit chat you get photos of the comics and some panels in which i talk about in this very show and things and you also get snippets to episodes of genuine chit chat so you can get a vague idea if you want to listen to those episodes before tuning in and downloading them Uh, but yeah find me on social media that's the best place to keep up with me thank you as always guys and I'll talk to you next Saturday with Poe Dameron Volume 2 and as always may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself Mike Burton and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org You have just experienced host creator everything else are of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.